Are you feeling the pinch yet financially? The RBA has just increased interest rates for the ninth time in a row. They're trying to curb out-of-control inflation, but they expect that to continue into the months ahead. So prices could stay high for much of the year and there's a difficult road ahead for people with mortgages. There are some really interesting ideas on the Life Matters Facebook page at ABCRN about riding out the financial pressures of the moment. What about you? Have you changed the way you spend or some of your household habits? Tell us about that on Facebook. We'll have some tips and answers to your questions too so you can text in. Dr Isaac Gross is with us today. He's a lecturer in economics at Monash University and a former economist Economist with the Reserve Bank of Australia. Isaac, welcome to Life Matters. Thanks for having me. And Peter Thompson, too, is a financial counsellor at the Financial Rights Legal Centre in New South Wales. He also works on the National Debt Helpline. Peter, great to have you with us as well. Uh, good morning, Hilary. Thanks for having me. It's a really interesting topic, and I think these are two very useful perspectives to have today. Isaac, let's start with the, the bigger picture. This has been going on for a while. Interest rates have been raised, I don't know, I've even lost count how many times so far. Why is inflation still so high? Look, I think inflation's high for a number of reasons. Some of them are, are pretty obvious. We've seen the war in Ukraine drive up energy prices and, and floods here at home that have pushed up food prices. But it's also true to say that the large amount of stimulus that got pumped out during the COVID-19 crisis has also increased demand in the economy. And so households are, are now flush with cash and they're, they're spending as well. So it's a range of factors. Uh, and I think uh, that's why we're seeing inflation at such high levels. Can we get a bit more detail on the Ukraine issue, Isaac? We've just got a text saying, please don't let your guests simply say it's the war in Ukraine without explaining how a conflict on the other side of the world affects the cost of my milk and eggs. I mean, energy prices seems like an abstract thing. Why does energy prices elsewhere affect us here in Australia? So the, the primary way uh, the Ukraine invasion affects us is through the uh, price of natural gas. Um, so Russia is a big supply of natural gas, and that's been all but cut off uh, since the, the war started. Uh, and so that means that the gas that we produce has also risen in price as people around the world start looking for alternative suppliers, which we're one of. Uh, and that gas that we're now exporting at a, a very uh, high price uh, means that the gas that we use domestically is now much more expensive. And, and gas is an input into a whole range of goods, not only you know the gas you use to cook with at home, uh, but that uh, gas is used in Australian manufacturing firms that need to use you know, really large quantities of energy to, to heat up um, their, their, uh, in their manufacturing process. And so when energy prices rise, that can feed into all sorts of goods that you wouldn't have thought of as you know being especially tied to the energy sector, because energy is the one thing that everybody uses uh, at some point. So, Isaac, if prices are high, why is spending also high? I mean, that's the whole idea, isn't it, that we, we uh, yeah. reduce that growth in the economy? Why isn't it working so far? Well, we've seen really high spending for a couple of reasons. The first is the large amounts of money that was pumped into the economy during the COVID-19 crisis, which was the right thing to do, but it's meant that we've got a lot of excess savings floating around, which means that households are, uh, are feeling flush with cash, or at least some households are, and they're spending it. We're seeing uh, record levels of retail spending, people going out and, and shopping for you know, clothes and food and um, uh, entertainment goods. And that's part of the reason why demand is high. We're also seeing an incredibly low unemployment rate, around 3.5%, which uh, is the lowest it's been in decades. And that's also meant that, uh, you know, while it's obviously a good thing that we've got a low unemployment rate, it means that more people have more money in their pockets and they're spending that money. 
Peter Thompson, as a financial counsellor, seeing things, you know, at the CPI at its highest rate for 30 years, what are you seeing in terms of the kinds of people who are coming in to seek help? Look, there's a, a noticeable uptick in, in contacts to the National Debt Helpline. It's up about 28% from the same time last year, and there's an increased volume of people who are obviously feeling the pinch um, you know, with increasing interest rates on their mortgage payments. And so we've heard uh, on RN Breakfast this morning about uh, charities around the country seeing mm. people come in who would never have come in before, people with jobs but not earning enough to actually cover their costs. Is that something you've noticed as well? Look, this is affecting the mortgage payments, really affecting the whole spectrum of income earners. So there are people who reach out on the NDH uh, helpline who are you know, households with very solid six-figure incomes uh, who are dealing with equally solid mortgages. So this is just not just the, the lower income sort of demographic. It, it's affecting you know, a broad cross-section across, uh, across the community. And as you're saying, people are now stretching to other forms of credit uh, just to put essentials on on the dinner table. So I mean, when we look at the, the essentials versus discretionary thing, I've seen some commentators suggesting mm. that uh, the, the boost to our COVID income and the fact that we saved uh, has created some poor financial habits. Peter, do you think we're out of practice with saving and spending responsibly? We've got some unrealistic lifestyle expectations now. I think that's there's a, there's a lot of truth in that, Hillary. I think a lot of a lot of households don't really have a really razor sharp idea of where each dollar of income that comes in goes out to, uh, particularly as regards discretionary expenses. And that's really the first step that people need to take when you're in an environment where they're going to have to start looking at their expenses, particularly discretionary expenses. Really important that the the, the, the borrowers out there and, and households that are under the pinch have a crystal clear idea of where their money is going to. And I don't think there has really been that discipline um, in many households over the over the period of COVID. Yep, certainly the time like this brings a sharp focus to what constitutes a discretionary and an essentialist expense. We're speaking yes. with Peter Thompson, who's a financial counsellor at the Financial Rights Legal Centre in New South Wales, and he mentions the National Debt Helpline. That's a very useful number if you want some advice, one eight hundred double o seven double o seven. Am I right in that, Peter? That's correct, yeah. Excellent. The James Bond of helplines, I've heard it described as before, one 7 And Dr Isaac Gross, a lecturer in economics at Monash University and a former economist with the RBA. Isaac, wage growth has stagnated too, which makes life harder for a lot of us, and the government wants to work on raising those wages. What impact will that have if, if done responsibly? So it depends on exactly how the government manages to get wages to tick up. If they can... Uh, develop new policies that help make us more productive and help make us, um, you know, earn more by producing more, then it should have, you know, very little impact on inflation. Uh, on the other hand, if they just, um, push up wages, perhaps through the industrial relations system, then it's less likely, it's more likely to have an impact on inflation. So it's a bit of a careful balancing act. You want to push up wages as much as you can, but you want to make sure that there's an underlying productivity gain to back those higher wages up. And I think that's what the government's trying to do uh, with a number of its economic reforms. Peter Thompson, how much difference can it make to a low-income household if those wages go up just a little bit? Oh, I think that the low-income households in particular, they're right on the, on the limit. So for, the, the, for any household really which is paying out more than, say, 35 40% of their disposable income, 
put the roof over their head, whether that's a mortgage or rent, then um, that they are right on the line there of financial stress. And so just the tiniest increase in the amount of income that comes in um, make a real difference. That's never seemed to me to be a really useful indicator of mortgage stress, 35% of your disposable income, because if your disposable income's up in the tens of thousands of dollars, you know, if you're earning 200 grand a year, it's going to be a lot easier, isn't it, than if you're on the median of 70-odd? I think the RBA has what's called their 30-40 rule, and that is if you're spending out more than 30% of your disposable income and you own the bottom 40th percentile of um, income earners, then that's the indicator of stress. But you're right, for for higher income households, they can afford to pay out um, 50-60% potentially of their disposable income. Here's a text that I think sums up some of my feelings. I don't understand our economic system. We aim at growth and then there's too much and the Reserve Bank says everyone stop shopping. Huh? What? I just don't understand the rationale behind the grow, grow, stop thing. Uh, Isaac, are interest rates the only instrument we have to regulate inflation? Because it does seem a bit blunt at times. Yeah, no, it's a it's a, a good question your, uh, your listener asked. Look, they're not the only tool, but the other tools in our uh, macroeconomic toolkit are also imperfect. So a, another policy the government could try is to, to cut back on spending generally. But cutting back on spending you know, is, is often quite difficult. You don't want to cut spending on health, especially not these days. You don't want to cut spending on education uh, or even defence. Uh, and so that's a, also a pretty unpleasant series of uh, you know. Uh, items to consider. Uh, the alternative is you could try and raise taxes to try and sort of slow the economy a bit and, and stave off this inflation. But uh, raising taxes is also pretty unpopular, or, or so I'm told. Uh, and I think <laughs> it would be quite difficult for the government today to you know, figure out which taxes to raise and by how much. And uh, all these tax and spending policies, the, the big downside to them is that they're slow. You know, the budget process only really happens once a year. Uh, and so if we were to wait for the government to you know, change the budget, we'd probably be waiting, well, at least a couple of months till May before we even got a hint of what they were trying to do. Uh, and by then, you know, prices would keep on getting higher and inflation would keep on getting worse. A quick question about the grow, grow, stop idea that our text correspondent raised. Isaac, if discretionary spending goes down, won't that have a negative impact on some of the businesses that have already really struggled through COVID? Is there a lot of collateral damage involved? here? Look, it's it's certainly a risk. Uh, but part of the reason why the Reserve Bank of Australia wants to slow aggregate spending in the economy is that uh, we're seeing really high levels of spending at the moment. Obviously, you know, the retail sector would have done it really tough during COVID. But I suspect when we get the final statistics in for, for last year, 2022 will seem like a bit of a bumper year with uh, record profits. So I think what the RBA really wants to do is to achieve that Goldilocks middle, somewhere better than being in lockdowns and COVID, but not quite as hot as what we've seen over the past six to 12 months. Some really powerful texts coming in. One just says, 62% of my income on rent. I'm a solo mum of four. I work full time. My income's $60,000 a year. I've done everything right to keep a stable home for my children. My mortgage of eight years isn't huge, 300 grand. But this recent rate rise leaves me with $1,000 a month to pay for everything else. I'm utterly beside myself about what comes next for my family if rates keep going up. It all comes down to me. I don't have the capacity to earn more money. There have to be other ways for the government and the Reserve Bank to address inflation. Surely continually hitting mortgage holders isn't the only solution. I mean, that is a really... 
uh, difficult thing to hear, isn't it, Peter Thompson? And as a financial counsellor at the Financial Rights Legal Centre, mm. I imagine you hear stories like that quite frequently. Uh, not that specific mm. case, but if you do have a mortgage, what are some ways you could be preparing for interest rate hikes to come? Oh, look, get on the front foot. Really. The, 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 any decrease in your mortgage rate is not likely to come from Phil Lowe in the immediate term. It, it's likely to come from your own efforts. So for anyone out there who's on an, uh, a less than competitive uh, mortgage rate, and remember the best variable rates out there now all start with a four. Um, for anyone who's not down in that territory, just get on the phone to your bank, see what they can do. Let them know your situation. Um, get on the phone to the National Debt Helpline, talk with a financial counsellor, explore your options, but really it's important that people just get on the front foot because, as I say, that's their, the, the most immediate chance they've got of getting any relief in their mortgage rates going forward, I think. I was reading too, uh, Peter, how if you fill out a form, each, each bank has a differently named form that, that indicates to them that you're planning to leave and this is the bank you're planning to go to. That can be quite a kick up the bum for them and they might call you, in fact. <laughs> what about other debts, Peter? Is it true that adage that you know the, the, the mortgage is the most important one and you, to an extent the others you can uh, let slide a little bit? Look, it, it, many people think it's the highest priority expense, but it's not necessarily, and you'll find that some other creditors are not necessarily as accommodating as your lender. Um, strata management, for example, is, is one good example. So again here, just reach out and have a chat with a financial counsellor and that'll help you to prioritise which of the, the payments you've got to, got to make in, in, in which order. Uh, given your own situation. And what other ideas do you have, Peter, not just necessarily for mortgage but all the other household stresses? What kinds of things, for example, can we put on payment plans or or get a pause on? Oh, look, most, most licensed lenders and all the telcos and utilities, all of those have hardship departments and most of those, if you reach out to them and explain your circumstances, uh, they are usually willing to, to, to accommodate with payment plans, um, for utilities and the like, there's obviously relief and, and subsidies in the form of EPA vouchers. But as what I say, vouchers, this all depends on reaching out. Sorry, what was the, the voucher that you mentioned? An EPA. What's that? You know, E-A-P-A. I knew mean, you'd ask me what the acronym is. Uh, <laughs> program or whatever. I think $400 per six-month period is provided by the state. I'm, I'm talking about New South Wales, but most of the states have a similar uh, rebate program for to help people who are feeling the pinch with their energy bills, electricity or gas. Um, different states will all have different forms of rebate for services like this and again it's a question of people just reaching out to find out what options and supports are available to them. Yep and uh, Peter what happens if you default on your mortgage repayments? I heard Anna Bly on RN Breakfast today saying that banks want to keep you in your home and foreclosure is a last resort. Does that bring some comfort? Look it's a, it's a exactly it's a, it's, a, it's a long protracted process uh, the road to foreclosure Banks, banks obviously want to do what they can to, to, to keep people in their homes. Um, if you do get a default notice, by all, that's absolutely a, a sign that you should reach out and get support if you need to. But as I say, it's, it's usually 60 days past due with a payment that the, the, the default notice would be, be issued. And it's really important that people within that period of time uh, get on the front foot to, to assess what their options are.
There are also some really good budgeting tools, aren't there? As you said earlier, Peter, uh, you know, as a financial counsellor, you've noticed that maybe people aren't so practised at working out where each dollar goes when it comes into the house. What's a good starting point for that? Oh, look, if they're so inclined, that the ASIC's Money Smart websites are very good starting points to help people sit down. And, you know, look, you're right. Start with the low-hanging fruit. Start with the, the subscriptions for services that you, you don't don't use. Um, they get automatically deducted and you never see the, the money coming out of your account. Pull down, you know, two or three months' worth of bank statements and just have a look where your money's going through. Um, the drive through fast food, whatever it happens to be. Um, most people are simply not fully aware of exactly where every dollar that they have is going out to. So it's a, it's a really instructive exercise to sit down and do that for your household. So you, you really know where you might potentially be able to make cutbacks. Isaac, when is all this going to end? I mean, you're a lecturer in economics at Monash University, Dr. Isaac Gross, and you're a former economist with the RBA. Can you look into your crystal ball and, and work out when rates are going to start coming down and when that pinch might ease a little? Look, the future is always uncertain, I think, in these times more than any other. But I think we've still got a couple more interest rate hikes to come, uh, at least two, maybe three. Uh, but there's a chance interest rates could start to to fall towards the end of the year. Uh, it's not certain, but it's possible. So I think if you're you know struggling with interest rate rises, uh, I, I think, as Peter said, it's good to get on the front foot and deal with it now because... Uh, it's probably going to get worse before it gets better, uh, and any rate relief uh, is is not going to come at least for another six months, maybe longer. A very pithy question, Isaac, on text. Why do we need to keep growing the economy? I mean, is the answer to that, if we don't, we end up in a recession? It's a really big question, isn't it? Uh, I think that, that answer is essentially correct. You know, if we didn't grow the economy, I mean, that's almost the definition of a recession. Uh, and, you know, that would be pretty average for most Australian households. It would mean you wouldn't get, you know, an increase in your wages. You wouldn't be able to uh, buy new things or have, you know, newer hospitals, newer schools with a, an economy that doesn't grow. Uh, so, you know, it's uh, sometimes it can seem like an abstract concept, this economic growth, but it's the foundational force that drives all our improvements of standard of living. And I think uh, we'd be uh, we'd miss it if it wasn't here, that's for sure. Lee's texted in from Saratoga. She says, Hi, Hilary, I work in health services. I have never been more productive or worked harder in my life, and I'm in the last decade of my working life. I'm tired, of, so tired of hearing the productivity argument. Productivity has grown over the last 10 years, but wages haven't. Workers want and need their share now. That's on the issue of wages growth. And uh, Isaac, you mentioned earlier the unpopularity of taxation as a, an instrument <laughs> of economic change. Uh, one text says, using taxation to quell inflation is a much better thing, but the government is too gutless to do it. If you want to affect everyone across the board, raise the taxes so they can do it in a week. They just haven't got the gas. And here's a final question for you, Isaac. House prices, says Bill, way back then might have been very different to now, but so were wages. He says, at the height of the interest rates, boomers paid on average over 40% of their average wage on mortgage. It's nowhere near that now. What's your thought, Isaac, on the relative difficulty of servicing a mortgage now and then back in, say, the 70s or 80s, when interest rates were really high? Yeah, look, it's always hard to compare uh, you know, buying a house across different periods of time because so many things are different. You've got different prices, different wages, different interest rates. 
I think on balance, if you did buy a house back in the 80s, uh, as my parents did, you were probably pretty lucky to do so. Uh, you were able to afford you know, a house much closer to the city, for example. And while interest rates were high in the 80s, they did come down pretty quickly after that in the 90s. And so you, you might have you know, been paying off a, a steep interest rate initially, but that interest rate came down and the value of your property you know, skyrocketed in response. So... Uh, at least with retrospect, we can say it was definitely a, uh, a pretty great decision to have bought a couple decades ago. Um, obviously, for any individual case, it can always vary. You know, even if the average household is better off today, uh, today than they were previously, um, there will always be some people who, either through bad luck um, or bad choices, didn't end up with the uh, the you know the, the the best outcomes. So, look, it's always important to uh, keep in mind that. Even though most Australian households are sort of doing well today, uh, there's always going to be some households that are struggling and the government needs to think about those households when it's formulating policy. Yes, indeed. And as we heard, the ASIC Money Smart website has some really great ideas on it and a helpful budgeting tool and the National Debt Helpline, which can give you some of the ideas that uh, Peter Thompson's been discussing today, is 1800 007 007, wherever you are around the country. Dr Isaac Gross and Peter Thompson, thank you both so much for your time today. No worries. Thanks for having me. Dr. Isaac Gross is a lecturer in economics at Monash Uni and a former economist with the RBA. And Peter Thompson is a financial counsellor at the Financial Rights Legal Centre in New South Wales. He does work on the National Debt Helpline as well. A few people on Facebook who feel like it feels like they've been in this situation before. Uh, Francis says, I'm eliminating waste. I now make great salads with whatever needs using, including fruit. Uh, Catherine says, I'm uh, making patchwork out of my old clothes to make clothes that do fit me. And Makita says, I'm going back to my uni student diet for a while. Boring, but cheap and healthy. Big batch of veggie and lentil soup once a week, freezing it into portions. I might lose some weight in the process, she says. Thanks for your thoughts on this topic today. Up next, a scientist falls in love with a rainforest and tries to grow it back. You're going to hear that story from her next and find out how she's restoring vital biodiversity in Queensland. ABC RN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.